Is there a right answer? Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. Wide receiver or offensive line? Those are the two positions most often tied to the Cardinals' two first-round draft picks. Which position is more important? Which position has greater value? And what do the four teams that reach Championship Sunday tell us about those two positions? Also, real-time reaction. Cardinals making some moves in free agency. And the Seahawks reportedly have a brand-new head coach. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 724, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Buda Baker, what heart, what threat. This guy's unbelievable. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. Going to make your day, Paul. Wait, uh, why Why you why, why no. I say that and immediately no. you start laughing. My day or is no. it going to be at my expense? No, That's what your, I want to know. Your day. Okay. I am going to make your day. Well, I feel bad because I was about to rip you. Uh, I saw where Larry David bagged on Bill Simmons for being a wrestling fan. And so I was going to actually turn that on you. But now I feel bad for even having that that mindset and or strategy slash game plan. So uh, I'll shut up over here, do it. I should do best and just stifle myself. Go ahead. Nothing wrong with professional wrestling, Paul. Just make sure you're aware of that. Okay. With that said, and despite your attempts at knocking me, I am going to make your day here on this Wednesday edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, Vincent Boncinere, hope I'm pronouncing that last name correctly, covers the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Okay. He's at the Senior Bowl. Okay. On Tuesday, posted the following, Michael Penix making some oh-damn throws at the Senior Bowl, Touch, velocity, long balls, short, intermediate, impressive. Wednesday morning, NFL.com. Number one takeaway from day one at the Senior Bowl. Michael Penick Jr.'s arm stands out. Arm talent just looked different working next to Oregon's Bo Nix and Notre Dame's Sam Hartman. Looked more comfortable taking snaps from center than the others. That was written by Lance Zierlein. Again, what is Paul Calvisi's big take here in the offseason, you need a fourth quarterback. Paul, I just gave you that fourth quarterback. See, and I thought it was going to be Bo Nix. I mean, but it doesn't matter to me. You I, don't care. We're not differentiating or distinguishing between quarterbacks. We don't care. Just let there be one QB rising. And in recent history, there has been that one. Whether it's been Zach Wilson all the way to two, whether it's been Trey Lance all the way to three, last year Anthony Richardson to four, historically Blake Bortles to three, Mitchell Trubisky to two. It happens every year. Some guy with uber arm talent throws on air and gets everyone's attention. Dare I go all the way back to Jamarcus Russell, number one overall, because why? He was Uncle Rico and could throw this ball over that there mountain. It happens every year. And where the Cardinals are at number four, the best thing that could happen to them is QB rising. So whether it's Bo Nix, Michael Penix, or to be determined, doesn't matter. Paul is desperate for more bites at the apple because this Cardinals team, and there's no argument here, has a number of different holes on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And with that fourth overall pick, is it better to take 
the best wide receiver the game has seen or as far as the best potential prospect at that position that anyone has seen in a number of years? Or at number four, do you take the number one tackle? Or to your point, Paul, do you drop down eight, nine, ten, and take maybe the second best wide receiver or third best, but in the other year that would be the one or two best wide receiver? Or do you take a second or third best offensive lineman plus draft capital? And look, this draft is absolutely loaded. Number one, in offensive tackles. And number two, wide receivers. So that bodes well for the Arizona Cardinals. But even better is having the choice, having the option. You're sitting at number four. And okay, uh, behind door number one is Marvin Harrison Jr., the highest rated wide receiver prospect in many years. Dare I say Larry Fitzgerald-esque. And I know that's what a lot of fans think. Okay. But number two, if you also have the option of people calling Monty Austin Ford's phone because there is a coveted quarterback at number four. Okay, now, now the ball is most definitely in your court. Now you have leverage. Now you have the option. Do we cash this in for multiple picks? Do we get um, go down to number eight with Atlanta, for example? What is Atlanta going to do for a quarterback? So now we go down to eight. Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't there, but Roma Dunze is. Or Joe Walt might be there at number eight, the best left tackle in the draft, at least at this point of the evaluation process. And then, or how about this? Some of these corners that have been highly rated, and I'm shocked. There's actually a couple of corners like Terry on Arnold, who's number six overall, Daniel Jeremiah, the Bammer, Bama cornerback who, who's out there, a two-year starter, ridiculous athleticism and ball skills, according to Jeremiah, and he's aggressive. He'll compete, he'll hit you, he'll tackle, he'll come up and run support. These are all assets that Jonathan Gannon must have in cornerback one. So maybe you do go corner in the top 10 if you drade down, and then you still get a premier tackle with that second first-round pick because that's how loaded this whole draft is. In fact, Daniel Jeremiah in his top 18 prospects right now, there are seven offensive tackles. Think about that. Think of how how deep this draft class is and how many different options it gives Monty Austin for. Seven tackles in the top 18, four wide receivers in the top 15. So what's the separation between number one, Marvin Harrison, and everyone else? What's the separation, or is there a separation, depending on what you want as an offensive tackle? Joe Alt is the biggest name that keep people, people keep bringing up, but is there someone else? Is there a different philosophy in what – a particular team wants in an offensive tackle. Look, in my opinion, there is no wrong answer because the Cardinals have whatever they want. If Marvin Harrison is there and Monty Austin Ford says, we're drafting Marvin Harrison, okay, let Monty cook. Now, if he decides to go offensive tackle at number four, hey, it worked a year ago with Paris Johnson Jr. And if you decide to trade down, well, again, we saw what Monty was able to do a year ago in the draft room in acquiring or drafting Paris and then getting another future first-round pick. There is no right answer here, and we really won't know, Paul, until, what, four or five years down the road what the decision should have been or maybe it was the right decision. Look, you could go, for example, um, you want to talk about guys who are making a name for themselves at the Senior Bowl you can go with the uh, Oklahoma left tackle, Tyler Guyton, 6'7", 328. He had just one season as a full-time starter, but he's really showing well, really athletic. You have the Oregon State tackle, 
Talise Buwaga, right, 6'6", 332. He was big time this year. Even the U of A tackle, Jordan Morgan. These are all guys you could potentially target at the end of round one. So whether you're getting corner, whether you're getting edge, whether you're getting receiver with that first first round pick, then you could come back with that tackle. There's also a couple of centers who are really highly thought of in this draft. If you're building this O-line for the long term, then maybe you seriously consider that. Remember, you have some high second round picks as well. Those centers could be there. I could easily see the Cardinals go in that direction. But to me, when it's receiver versus the trenches in the top 10, I keep coming back to Detroit and the futility that has been the Lions' history and their track record of drafting receivers in the top 10. They had a couple of massive swings and misses under Matt Millen, did they not? Whether it was Charles Rogers, whether it was Mike Williams out of USC, that's going back like 20 years. But then they took Calvin Johnson, and that was a home run. He's a Hall of Famer. What did it do for them? And their win-loss record and their playoff fortunes. It's when they finally rebuilt the offensive line. And to see what they did in that first half against the 49ers before things got away from them in that second half, but to rush for 148 and just bludgeon the 49ers literally in the first half of the NFC Championship game and take a 24-7 lead, how could you not sit there and watch that and say that's the formula for the Arizona Cardinals, that Honolulu blueprint, not only building your roster, but in trying to dethrone the NFC West champion, 49ers. This is not an anti-Marvin Harrison take. It's not an anti-wide receiver take. It's what's best for a team building. And right now, this Cardinals team is still building. Glad you brought up the Detroit Lions. The line of scrimmage. You look at the final four teams this year. 49ers, Lions in the NFC, Chiefs, Ravens in the AFC. That's where the Cardinals want to be. All right, so you look at what the 49ers, Lions, Chiefs, and Ravens all did. Where were their, where did they put their capital, their draft capital? Obviously, you need a quarterback. Three of the four teams are led by first-round picks. Brock Purdy is an anomaly. It happens rarely. Line of scrimmage, O-line, D-line. Where do these teams invest in first-round talent? Not trades, not free agents, but invest in first-round talent. Of those four teams... 11 first-round picks at the line of scrimmage. Six on the D-line, five on the O-line. Wide receivers, four first-round picks. And the highest-drafted player, Jamison Williams, 12th overall. And, Paul, he's not even the number one wide receiver on the team. That's Amon St. Brown. Yep, a fourth-round pick. Exactly. And look at the Ravens and their horrendous history of drafting receivers in recent times. I mean, they have taken their shots in the first round at receivers, and they have whiffed, yet they're still able to lead the NFL and win, still able to be a number one seed, despite the fact they do not have a great receiver room. So with all that being the case, and then there was something I think that's sort of underrated with the Chiefs as well, and it was in the fourth quarter of the AFC Championship game, and finally the Ravens got to Patrick Mahomes and they brought him down. That was the first sack allowed by the KC offensive line in the playoffs. The fourth quarter of the AFC Championship game, the third playoff game. So that Chiefs offensive line, I think, is underrated, but it's been a priority of the Chiefs. 
during this entire Super Bowl run and in the career of Patrick Holmes. Now, does he make him look good at times with some well-timed scrambles and some runs? And I thought Brock Purdy really channeled his inner Patrick Mahomes with those two 21-yard scrambles at exactly the right time. I didn't think Lamar Jackson did nearly enough of that. I get it. The Chiefs were playing to keep Lamar in the pocket, but you're Lamar Jackson. You're maybe the most athletic dude in the league. And and the fact that he didn't keep that Chiefs defense honest more often, I thought was one of several coaching blunders by the Baltimore Ravens. But once again, you have Chris Jones on the defensive line, and he's a top three defensive lineman in the league. So you're right. You can look at the line of scrimmage for Kansas City and for all the glamour and the glitz of Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, that's where they're controlling the game with, I mean, look at that KC defense and what they were able to do against Lamar Jackson. That started up front. And that KC defense is a big reason why the Chiefs are back in the Super Bowls, not just that Chiefs offense like it was maybe in previous years. Again, this is not an anti-wide receiver take. I'll say it again. If the Cardinals are on the clock with a fourth overall pick, and the pick is in, and it's Marvin Harrison Jr., I'm all for it because generational talent, I'll buy in if that's what the experts say. Put it this way, if that's what Monty Austin Ford says, right. I'm going to believe the general manager. Yet at the same time, and I know Larry Fitzgerald, third overall pick, no Super Bowl rings, only one Super Bowl appearance, and you look at the top, I went back, the top 10 pass catchers. So that's wide receivers, Tight ends, Tony Gonzalez is in there. Only Fitz was selected with a top five pick. Mm. In other words, to your point, you always go back first round wide receivers. There are more misses than hits, especially top 10, top 15. You can find wide receivers late in the 20s. A Brandon Ayuk, a Zay Flowers, a Rashad Bateman. On day two, second, third round picks because... You need that quarterback first and foremost. Your premier positions. My eyes, it's quarterback, offensive tackle, and edge rusher. Those, to me, are your top three. And are are obviously worthy of top five, top ten selections. And you know what? If you want to argue for Marvin Harrison Jr., the counter-argument would be of those positions. Think about it. Is there a Miles Garrett in this draft? No. So there isn't that edge rusher, that get-to-the-quarterback guy at number four that would warrant the fourth overall pick. If you're going to go that direction, you probably trade down and you target Jared Burst out of Florida State, for example. If you're going to go tackle, well, guess what? It's really deep in tackle. You can get a tackle later. Is there a corner caliber of Sauce Gardner in this draft? Probably not. There's some real talent, but is there someone worthy of number four overall? So you could argue that Marvin Harrison Jr. is that once-in-every-decade type receiver prospect who does warrant the fourth overall pick more than some of those other players. But in terms of the position hit rate, once again, it has been abysmal for receiver in the first round, the worst of any position group in recent NFL history. So that gives you pause. And when you also have other receivers in this draft uh, who are incredibly talented, 
Plus, you look at the All-Pro and Pro Bowl teams from this year, and you look at how many guys were third, fourth, and fifth round picks. Amon Ross St. Brown in the fourth round, Puka Nakua in the fifth round. Two years ago, Cooper Cup was the NFL Offensive Player of the Year, a third round pick out of Eastern Washington. So you see this history. If you're doing your homework at receiver, and you see plenty of these guys at the Shrine practices and the Senior Bowl so far, some real dudes who have been playing well, okay, so now if you can go ahead and you once again, you, you can build from the inside out, which is what we were talking about this time last year, that was going to be the mentality for everything you could glean and pick up in those press conferences of Monty Asifor and Jonathan Gannon. And everything we've seen since only reinforces that. The commitment to the run game, the you know assets invested in a game plan to stop the run, even though Cardinals used had a bunch of journeymen in that defensive line room throughout the year. You, you have to figure that continues to be the focus by the new decision makers. You need a quarterback. Cardinals have a quarterback. You need to protect that quarterback. So obviously that becomes a priority. And yeah, with this Cardinals team, you need a number one wide receiver. They have not had a number one wide receiver since DeAndre Hopkins, at least to my, at least in my opinion. Now again, can you find that guy later? The Cardinals leading receiver this year is Trey McBride. What did he do in 2022 before the Cardinals drafted him? Performed well at the Senior Bowl. A year ago, Michael Wilson at the Senior Bowl. According to executive director of the Senior Bowl, Jim Nagy, no player, I went back and looked this up, no player, quote, changed narrative more than Wilson, who went from a likely fifth-round pick to a possible third-rounder. And Wilson was selected in the third round by the Cardinals. I say that because these Senior Bowl practices are going on during the week on NFL Network. If you haven't watched, I strongly suggest you look at it, look at some highlights, some great talent, whether that's at the line of scrimmage or wide receiver. Michigan wideout Roman Wilson made an unbelievable one-handed sideline catch earlier on Wednesday. Georgia wide receiver Lod McConkey, both six feet tall, have stood out, and I do think that's the one thing we can say about the wide receiver position. This Cardinals team is looking at receivers who are six foot or taller. They want that physical receiver who will also block and not be afraid to block. You have to be a willing participant in this run game, and that includes the wide receiver position. Yeah, remember, Cardinals have four assistant coaches who are part of that coaching staff at the Senior Bowl. They have a couple at the Shrine. So they're getting uh, the inside knowledge of what are these guys like behind the scenes. Are they mature? Are they professional? How are they treating this? Are they focusing on this as a job interview? And then you can really start, you know, that's where you start to get a sense of Michael Wilson, right? I mean, at this Senior Bowl, for example, you're looking for an edge rusher and you have the UCLA kid, Laiatu Latu is his name, and Dave Pash has raved about him did a number of his games, Pac-12 games, and you watch some of his highlights, Latu out of UCLA, and you're like, wow, this guy is a gifted athlete off the edge. Now he had a serious neck injury. I mean, he started his career as a Washington Husky. All right, that Tyler Guyton, an offensive tackle out of Oklahoma, you know, he's been making a name for himself. And then if you're looking for a center, this Jackson Powers Johnson out of Oregon. Really interesting. 6'3", 334. He played tackle, then they put him at center this year. He was an absolute beast. He's known for having nasty edge to him, bullying defensive linemen, right? And then right after the senior ball practice, you know who went up to him and started talking to him? Mike Tomlin. 
And so everyone's like, okay, wait a minute. Steelers need a center. What's he doing? Is he trying to throw everyone? So it's interesting the whole, the way everything goes at these uh, Senior Bowl evaluations. A, they value the practices and the one-on-ones way more than the game. Most of the guys, the evaluators leave when it comes time for the game. But then you get to see some of these guys and talk to them behind the scenes. And there's no question. That information will be inputted in the war room, where we can't go, into the war room, onto those draft cards and grades, and will make it its way into the evaluation process. By the way, Howard Johnson, at least I saw this on social media, he was participating despite suffering a hamstring injury during a workout. So he was still wow. on the football field because it was that important that he be seen. Mm. Now, he did not finish Wednesday's work, but he was on the field on Tuesday. And again, that all that stuff matters. Guyton told reporters he did speak with the Cardinals in Mobile during the Senior Bowl. And again, some of that is intel and how many different teams speak to different players and is it for a smoke screen or is there legitimate interest in a player like that but when you talk about Guyton at 6-7-3-28 13 starts at right tackle one start at left tackle allowed just two sacks over the past two seasons and none this past year and that's who Mel Kuyper Jr. mocked to the Cardinals in Kuyper's 1.0 mock draft with a 27th pick overall. So again, Jack, Jackson Powers Johnson, that's no, who? Tyler no. Guyton did. Tyler Guyton, yeah. okay, all right. But you know what, if you do go center, whether it's, and I, w- I would think if you went center, it would be the top of round two or somewhere in round two if one of these guys were to fall because there was a four-year starter at West Virginia, kid who was a four-time state high school wrestling champ. He's like a bigger, nastier AQ Shipley type guy. Uh, I could see him coming to the Cardinals in round two. And if you did, I know a lot of fans are like, well, geez, what about Yelda Froholt? Well, guess what? He's played some guard as well. Stick him out at left guard. Let him compete. Yelda Froholt. That is an area of need as well. So if that guy's on the board and it appears to be a home run and you feel really good about that center at some point, you know, in round two or beyond, then you pull the trigger. Because I think we all found out a couple years ago if you have a premier center, it goes a long way up front. Rodney Hudson, that one great year he provided the Cardinals, was such a difference maker. Guys in that locker room raved about what he brought to the offense. And, and when you can solidify that, because once again, your quarterback is not six foot six. And what's most bothersome is that interior pressure straight up the middle. And if that guy can be stout and Kyler Murray can have that sort of confidence in his uh, center, like he did with Yelda Froholt most of this year, then uh, that's something that you can't gloss over. And I, I do think Jonathan Gannon would value. Froholt is under contract for next season, so you could take your time with a young center on a day-two yep. pick, second or third round, and then you have that guy long-term. Because I think you make a good point about Rodney Hudson when he was here and performing well, we all saw the value of the center position, interior of the offensive line. Everyone talked about the tackle position. First it was the left tackle, now it's both tackles because edge rushers are on both sides of the line of scrimmage. But that pressure up the middle, where an Aaron Donald and a Chris Jones can wreck an offense, you need stout play in the middle of that line, whether that's the center whether that's the guard, you draft a center, okay, he beats out Froholt, now all of a sudden you kick Froholt to the guard spot, where you have right now an opening 
perhaps at left guard. Well, Hernandez is under contract for next season. And don't forget about John Gaines, who, not for that knee injury right before the start of the regular season, according to head coach Jonathan Gannon, was going to have a role on this team. Didn't specify what kind of a role, but was that going to be the future center? Was that going to be maybe in that guard rotation on the left side? John Gaines is still on this roster. We just haven't seen him because he missed the entire season on IR. But I do think there is a big emphasis, again, going back to the four teams in the championship game or the championship Sunday and just what we saw in year one from Monty Austin Ford, the emphasis on the line of scrimmage. It can't just be the O-line. got to be the D-line as well. But you have to start where the ball is snapped because Kyler Murray can't be Kyler Murray if that offensive line is not doing its job. And look, we've spent a lot of time talking about the offensive line, maybe no one more than me, but you're right, that defensive line needs to be addressed. And if if the Cardinals were to trade out of number four, I think it would be in the name of specifically rebuilding that defensive line room, getting enough picks, getting enough bites of the apple to go ahead and get some guys in there, whether it's one of the two guys from Texas, for example. You find you know, Clemson. I mean, you get some guys in there that can be stout against the run because we saw what the Rams were able to do last year you know, in, in both games, right? And we all know the Niners, uh, the most complex run scheme in the NFL. And I'm guessing now with the Seahawks and their pair of power running backs and their new head coach, we'll get to, we know where he's coming from, the number one run team in the NFL, even though he was the coordinator on the other side of the ball. So thou shalt be able to stop the run in the NFC West or you have no chance. And so, look, if this isn't a year with the premier edge rusher guys, it is a pretty good year for a lot of these defensive tackles. And so maybe the underrated storyline that uh, I haven't really put enough attention to yet is when and if and how many picks are devoted to defensive linemen. The two defensive tackles out of Texas, Byron Murphy II, was on one of the original rosters for the Senior Bowl. Now, according to what I've been reading, is not on a roster. Don't know why. And then the other defensive tackle, Tavondre Sweat, is participating, but a lot of noise that he opted not to weigh in. Hmm. And is that a red flag? Now, yes. at Texas, he was listed at 362. You're participating, yet you don't want to jump on the scale. And as a defensive tackle, well, we're expecting you to be a little bit heavy in the 360, 370 range. But if you're not weighing in, but you're still participating – and you're maybe bigger than 362, are you overweight but still want to be on the field? And, again, we're reading different things because we have all this time between now and the end of April, but this is all something that we in the media, and I'm sure scouts as well, examine, wonder, question. Why not weigh in? You're participating. Why not weigh in? We appreciate you competing because there are some that just choose not to compete, but the little things – like weighing in why not weigh in well okay this is kind of a hot take but there was an offensive lineman there is precedent here a few years ago for the cardinals who uh let's just say exceeded the capacity of the scale in the cardinals locker room they literally had to go to an industrial scale at a warehouse so you don't want to make 
headlines for the wrong reasons. So if indeed, A, you're overweight or beyond the acceptable weight range, that's one thing. But number two, if they don't even have the correct scale where you they can't even accommodate your largesse, right, your girth, then uh, that could be A, ultimately embarrassing, and B, has the potential to go viral and really undermine your draft status. And I'll just say this. If you are overweight, you've known about the Senior Bowl. You'll know about the Combine. You have these dates circled on the calendar. It's not that difficult when it's your job. It's your job interview. You have nothing yet, and you're trying to get on a team. You're trying to hear your name called during the three days of the draft. It's making that impression. And dare I say, maybe you make the wrong impression when you do or do not do certain things when you're at the Senior Bowl or in a couple of weeks in Indianapolis for the scouting combine. By the way, just a quick footnote and follow-up to the whole center discussion. Who are the two starting centers in the AFC Championship game? Creed Humphrey, Kansas City, Tyler Linderbaum of Baltimore. You know, those are two familiar names, Paul, because they were brought up with the yeah. Arizona Cardinals over the past couple of seasons. Yes, indeed. And so those guys anchored and centered some really stout offensive lines. So if you're Maniasa Ford and crew and you're up in – look at Frank Ragnow of the Lions. He was an all-pro. Where does Dave Sears come from? The Detroit Lions assistant GM. I'm just saying there's a lot of um, a lot of fodder there, a lot of um, you know uh, evidence that the Cardinals could go that direction, especially in a draft with at least two, if not three, thought to be elite center prospects available. I believe, at least if you believe what was the scuttlebutt, is that Kyler Murray wanted Creed Humphrey, and if not for the trade for Hollywood Brown. Tyler Lindebaum would have been the Cardinals' first-round pick. So, again, mm. offensive line. Maybe this front office views the line of scrimmage differently than the previous front office. And so, look, um, and you don't know what's out there, maybe even via free agency. Um, you know, we can see, you know, how the Cardinals value that. But th- there's no doubt in my mind that you don't watch the first half of what the Lions did to the 49ers and the Niners team that is arguably the most talented and deepest front seven in the league with all pros up there, and the Lions had their ways. To see Penny Sewell as an extra offensive lineman in motion was a thing of beauty. And for a Cardinals team that was number four in rushing last year, it was number one in explosive runs, an average five-plus yards a carry, uh, Don't think that was a fluke last year. That's the direction that this offense is headed. Again, not an anti-Marvin Harrison take. And if he is a selection, by all means, welcome aboard. But again, what is the more important position? What is the position that has greater value, line of scrimmage or a wide receiver? And look, we know you want to talk about another similarity to Detroit. I know we wanted to talk about Dan Campbell and his propensity to go for it in fourth down. And over the last three years, the Lions have led the league and number of fourth down attempts. And the Cardinals were fourth last year. Fourth most third down yeah. attempts. But the efficiency rate, the success rate, was bottom four. Correct. And so with that in mind, okay, how are you going to get better on short yardage? improve the offensive line. You obviously have the running back in James Conner. You obviously have a running quarterback to keep the defense honest in Kyler Murray. You know, the red zone efficiency numbers 
are pretty good for the Cardinals 2023, correct? Yes. And so, look, you, and that makes sense to me because if you have that running quarterback, what did we say when Kyler Murray was coming out of the draft five years ago? This is your competitive advantage. This is your secret weapon in the red zone is a guy who can run a 4-3 to the pylon and that a defense has to account for and is, you know, ostensibly has to commit a spy in the red zone to Kyler Murray because he'll just tuck it and run it from two, three, four yards out at any moment. And so, look, now if you can actually get into these situations more often, get into the red zone with more frequency, your efficiency was pretty good, you're fourth and short, can now you convert on third down so you never face fourth down. But if you are fourth and, and, and you want to go for it like Jonathan Gannon is apt to do, then okay, we're just going to come off. And it doesn't matter if you know we're going to run it. We're going to still run it and move you off the ball. Again, the Cardinals ranked seventh in the red zone, but they had just 43 trips inside the 20-yard line, and that was the fourth fewest in the league. So you get inside the 20 and you're scoring, whether that's a touchdown or a field goal, but just not enough trips inside the red zone. So drives are bogged down when you get inside the 20, and that was an issue. You're not scoring enough points. Yeah, you can move the ball in between the 20s, but when the field shrinks and it becomes a little bit tighter, well, yeah, you need to be able to run the football. Cardinals are capable of that. And then again, the argument to my wide receiver offensive line, okay, well, do you have that wide receiver threat who can go up and get the ball, a la Larry Fitzgerald. We'll have to wait and see if that's a Michael Wilson down the road. But a tall, physical wide receiver who's not afraid of contact at the goal line, in the end zone, fighting off a defender, maybe a little push here or there to get a little extra separation. And then all of a sudden, Kyler Murray has his option, whether that's a run or a pass. You know, it's interesting, too, uh, because Jonathan Gannon made a few cryptic comments in his final press conference with the media about what the offense might look like next year. And he said he was only half-joking when he told the staff that he's going to tear down the offense and rebuild it. What does that mean exactly? What? How different could it look next year? We don't know. What we do know, based on a lot of the reporting now, and, and those who follow the Chiefs on a daily basis, is that the Chiefs had to reinvent their offense midway through the season. They lost a game against the Raiders, their fifth loss in eight games, and they had a lot of issues on offense. And a lot of it revolved around what Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Matt Nagy all realized was an offense that was too complex, that they had too many formations, they had too many motions, they had too many route concepts in there. You know, There were play calls that were 15 words. So Andy Reid would call it up to Nagy, who would then go ahead and call it into the huddle, into the headset, and by the time they were breaking the huddle, there's 11 seconds on the play clock, and and now they're all scrambling, and Mahomes can't really read and survey the defense pre-snap. So they simplified everything, and they eliminated a lot of the mental errors. And guess what? The drops went down. Guys were playing, and they weren't thinking as much, and they just went out there, and, and they let the talent take over this Chiefs offense. So... I wouldn't be surprised if there's some of that with the Cardinals. Now, did they have a lot of different things in last year? A lot of it by necessity because they had different quarterbacks. It started with Cole McCoy, then they went to Josh Dobbs, they even played the rookie Clayton Toon, and finally Kyler Murray. And every one of those quarterbacks is very unique and individual in their own skill set. So now if you're building and formulating around Kyler Murray only, that obviously streamlines your offseason. But then what does that mean for an offense? That has to be installed in the offseason to some degree. And so, okay, but now, last year you were installing an offense with Colt McCoy in mind. 
What does it look like if it's Kyler Murray in mind? And what does that mean maybe about some of the personnel you target in this offseason as well? These are all questions that I think you have to bake into the whole evaluation of where the Cardinals are headed in 2024. Well, how many times have you said it based off of Gannon's comments to Drew Petzing? It's okay to run the same play multiple times and perhaps early in the season when there was some shuffling at the quarterback position because you're waiting on Kyler Murray, you were doing different things. And sometimes coaches can get in their own way with making things more complicated than they really have to with play calling and just dumb it down to a certain extent. To your words, simplify. And I do think we did see, hey, what's working? Let's keep doing it until they show that they can stop it, not just once, but stop it a second or third time. Okay, well, that's no longer working. Now we got to go to plan B. I don't have the exact rushing total in front of me, but in the second game against the 49ers, the Cardinals ran for more than 200 yards. And it was demoralizing to the 49ers. If you watch their post game and Fred Warner, he was at a loss to explain what just happened. That was the first time in 50 games the 49ers had given up 200-plus rushing yards in a single game. And a lot of that, talking to some of the offensive linemen, to your point was, guess what? We found a couple of plays they can't stop. Here it comes, again, again. And then they did that against the Philadelphia Eagles, more than 200 rushing yards. They did that against Seattle Seahawks in the finale, more than 200 rushing yards. So, yes, I think that the first-year play caller and offensive coordinator, he was learning on the job as the season went along as well. And that was something midseason that Jonathan Gannon imparted to Drew Patsine. Hey, don't be afraid to repeat a play until they show that they can stop it. Here it comes again. Want some real-time news here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. We'll get to what Seattle reportedly is doing at their head coaching position. But the Cardinals have made a couple of roster moves couple of exclusive rights-free agents, Jesse Lucetta and Carter O'Donnell, both have re-signed with the team. Now, exclusive rights-free agent, if the team wants you back, you'll be back. There's nothing you can do. You can't test the market. No one can come in and try to poach you. But it does show that there is a role for a Carter O'Donnell, who did see some time this season, and then Jesse Lucchetta, who basically played every position that there was, whether that was on offense, defense, or special teams. So again, early in the offseason, Cardinals with their first two signings that are not future contracts. Yeah. And Lucchetta, uh, he definitely fits the mold of a Jonathan Gannon-type player. At the very least, he could be that special teams guy. You know, for example, what happens to a Zeke Turner and some of the other stalwarts on special teams over the years? You know, Jesse Lucchetta is that guy. He plays all the teams, plays with an attitude. He's nasty, incredibly physical, doesn't back down from anyone. And so that, that to me, was an absolute that you're interested in retaining Jesse Lucchetta, still on a rookie contract. So, yeah, these are some of the things. And, look, that's what the Cardinals spent 2023 doing, figuring out who – and what they have, and where they need to go. And just based on who is coming back, that'll tell you what the Cardinals coaches and Monty Asifor thought of those players over the course of this past season. Luketa had 10 tackles and one tackle for loss in 14 appearances. Again, a lot of that was on special teams, and he did see some time at fullback. And then O'Donnell started three games at left guard, played five games overall. He was part of that rotation at that left guard position. So again... It all goes back to our original conversation. Line of scrimmage, the first of two moves. Again, not a future contract, 
deals with the offensive line. And Kyle Shanahan, um, it's interesting. When we were in Santa Clara's week four, and there was a conversation on his weekly TV show, Kyle Shanahan, and he said that when he was first connected with John Lynch as the GM, that they connected immediately because they both shared the same philosophy, that when it comes to the draft, there are three areas where you need to invest heavily, O-line, D-line, quarterback. And so, and they tried with Trey Lance and they failed, which makes their Super Bowl run even more remarkable. They gave up three first-round picks and one of the all-time whiffs and disasters in the Trey Lance trade, and they're still there because Brock Purdy, Arizona guy and 2017 Arizona Cardinals High School Player of the Year, saved their collective bacon. There's no doubt about that. But if you look at Kyle Shanahan and what they've done over the years, they have gone after defensive linemen and edge guys like no other team. They have invested heavily, including picking up Chase Young over the course of this year. So, okay, uh, now the Cardinals, with arguably the thinnest D-line room in the NFL last year, and just the fact that Nick Rollis was able to make a go, at times was remarkable. I mean, I'm down in the sideline. I'm looking at some of the names and numbers, guys they had called up from the practice squad who a month earlier had been on the street, and now they're a starter and getting 40 snaps in a game. It, truly remarkable. So you, I couldn't help but wonder, okay, what if you give Nick Rollis – a serious D-line room with some real dudes. What, could, what is this defense capable of? And I think that process starts this offseason. Before we exit stage left here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, we've teased it a couple of times. So again, the Seattle Seahawks, according to reports, have their new head coach. They go from double rainbow, Pete Carroll, to Eminem. Mike McDonald, the Ravens defensive coordinator, 36 years old. He becomes the youngest head coach in the league. Now he's not bringing over, I don't think, any of his defensive players with him unless the Seahawks go ahead and sign somebody. But that was the number one scoring defense, number six in total yards allowed per game. They had the most takeaways and the most sacks, second most passes defensed. So a young up-and-coming defensive coordinator and maybe continues with that philosophy in Seattle Pete Carroll defensive background especially the Legion of Boom might they be trying to reorganize that side of the football so they go from the oldest head coach in the league and coach (laughs) double rainbow 72 years of age to a man half his age 36 year old Mike McDonald and uh, all of a sudden this head coaching thing in the NFL is a young man's game to a large degree you look at a Dave Canales and a Brian Callahan, Gerard Mayo and Antonio Pierce, right? Of course, you have Jim Harbaugh in there. That was a preordained. And, and, and then Raheem Morris, who has plenty of experience going to the Falcons. But he's a high-energy guy. So for all of us, yours truly included, who thought Dan Quinn was an absolute slam dunk going back to Seattle, Maybe the fact the 40-burger, the 48-burger that Green Bay put on them in the playoffs, maybe that started to give the Seahawks pause, and they expanded their search after that, and then they stumbled upon a Mike McDonald, who apparently is really impressive in that interview setting, based on a lot of the NFL insiders in ESPN and NFL Network. A lot of teams, all the teams interviewed Mike McDonald, they said there was no one more impressive in the interview setting than McDonald. And I can't remember whether it was Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport mentioning as part of this breaking news, they're reporting that the Seahawks were willing to wait out the Ravens, meaning they were willing to wait until after the Super Bowl to get even a second interview 
or make the hire. Obviously, they don't have to wait any longer. But going back to what you said about Dan Quinn and what happened to the Cowboys, whenever I hear that, I go back to the Atlanta Falcons losing a 28-3 lead. Oh. Their offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan, yeah. who days after that debacle introduced by the 49ers to be their head coach. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, but look, it's um, here's the thing about Mike McDonald, too is he comes to Seattle and they need to revamp that defense. I think one of the reasons an ownership moved on from Pete Carroll is he was at a loss to explain the final month of the season what had happened to the Seahawks' run defense two years in a row. They were near the bottom of the league, if not dead last, in rush defense. Cardinals ripped them for more than 200 in the season finale when they had the playoffs on the line before they were eliminated before the end of the game. So, okay, guess what? I'm guessing Mike McDonald coming from the Ravens, where they had the number one total defense, and they also had the number one run game. He's coming in with a certain mindset and philosophy in Seattle. And, look, they have a lot of weapons, obviously. Two great running backs, two great receivers. They have DBs. That Devin Witherspoon is a dude that they took number five overall last year. They need to fortify that roster in the trenches. And if they can... If John Schneider, who now, curiously, does indeed have final say in personnel, <laughs> Pete Carroll made it known on his way out that he was in charge of personnel and had final say, and that it was now finally John Schneider's call to have final control over the roster. So, with that being the case, all right, because if Seattle starts to build up the trenches, they have a pretty young roster. What's going to happen with Geno Smith? He's on a glorified one-year contract. They easily could make a move in this offseason. I think that's an underrated storyline in the NFC West. Is Geno Smith really going to be back next year for Seattle? Because if you have a brand-new head coach, which you now do, it seems like a good time to get a brand-new quarterback. So we'll see. I think there could be a lot more change in Seattle that's still to come, as if they haven't gone through enough already. We come full circle here. Paulie always keeping an eye on the quarterback, whether that's a fourth quarterback to come up to number four or a quarterback within the division, maybe a real overhaul with the Seattle Seahawks. Do you make a trade, Cardinals and Seahawks? Is that even possible come draft time? Well, the price goes up. Oh, yeah, of course. There, there, there's Double no, the price. Yeah, there's no friends prices, uh, you know, <laughs> none of that. Um, so, yeah, it, it, you know, yeah, if they're willing to pay it, then you let them come up and take a shot if they want to. Hey, take a shot. at Look, if they want to keep Michael Penix in Seattle at number four overall, if they fell in love with the local kid, then by all means, no doubt about it. All I know is, Craig, we did this whole pro football network uh, simulator, right? And uh, I just I turned into Paulie the <laughs> dealingist, okay? I was sitting there at number four, and I kept hitting the trade, and it's this AI simulator, and you take a team and you run their draft, and I did it for the Cardinals in the first uh, three rounds, and so I turned six picks into seven players off the draft board, and I turned into two extra first-round picks from the Rams in Tampa and three extra second-round picks from Houston, Baltimore, and Seattle. So uh, I don't know if Monty uh, Asabord is going to go that direction, but it was a heck of a lot of fun doing the whole draft simulator and trying to uh, emulate where you're in a war room and on the clock. You can lose yourself for several hours doing these mock drafts, but it might be an indication, Paul, of why you're sitting across from me and not upstairs <laughs> right. in the draft room where we're yeah. not allowed to be in. Yeah, there's, there's a very real and valid reason why my key card does not grant access to the war room. 
put it that way. We are inching closer and closer to the 2024 draft, and again, we'll see what the Cardinals decide to do, or maybe they make us wait a little bit longer because Paul does want someone to come up to number four and see what happens if the Cardinals trade down as they did a year ago. I mean, Craig, I got Jared Verse, the edge out of Florida State, number 23. I got Byron Murphy and the Tavondre Sweat, the two Texas D tackles in the second round. I got the uh, center from West Virginia, Zach Frazier, middle of the middle of the second round as well. I mean, boom, taste it. General Manager Paul Calvisi. Not sure if that has quite the ring as a general manager Monty Austin Ford does, but uh, we digress here. And we'll make sure we'll get Paul back to the mock drafts. On that note, we'll put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Mahundro, our associate producer, Cody Fincher. For the general manager, Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Rayolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2. Do not let Paulie cook.